You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Ka. We are back with another off-season episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball, and today, John and I will be doing a little early mock draft of the first two rounds for the upcoming 2024 fantasy baseball season. However, first off, John, I haven't been on an off-season podcast yet. You did one on your own because I was a little busy, but how have you been? How's everything going? Good. It feels weird to not have a lot of baseball stuff going on. We're kind of in a weird lull. I know it's just GM meetings are happening or something like that, but free agency like technically started and nothing's really happening. So um, yeah, it's it's kind of a, a nice little quiet, quiet moment, I guess, if, if you're you know, baseball sicko like us. Um, yeah, and I guess it's it's all going to break loose once winter meeting starts next month. Yeah. I mean, like you said, we are a bunch of baseball freaks where we follow it 24-7, we podcast about it, we play in a billion fantasy leagues, so it's definitely weird to be in a lull. I've been super busy. My wife and I just bought a house, so we've been going through all of that. We've been just dealing with a lot of things. I got a new job as well, and doing this on the side, of course, so lots of stuff going on. I've actually been kind of toned out of baseball for, I guess, since the end of the fantasy season and the playoffs. Of course, I watched every single game, but it's been weird not being plugged into fantasy baseball and baseball as much as I normally am, especially in the offseason. Like I usually have pretty much already finished my rankings at this point, but I haven't even Mm -hmm. started. So it's a little interesting and a different offseason than normal, but it's been good. I like being busy and I like all of the things that are going on, finally turning a corner here in my life. So very excited about that stuff, but I'm excited to also talk about fantasy baseball because it's one of my favorite things, man. I love baseball in general, and playing fantasy baseball just brings me so much joy. So it's great to be back here in the offseason talking about it with you, and it's going to be fun. We're going to do a little 2024 early mock draft for fantasy baseball, and John and I are going to alternate taking picks. So I will, or John will take the first pick, and then we will just rotate every other pick. It's obviously not going to be a real thing or something that can translate, but it's seeing who we like most in the first two rounds and where we would take them overall, giving some explanation behind the picks. And it'll be a lot of fun to do. But before we get into that, just a reminder that you can follow our podcast on X or Twitter, at this week PL, and you could send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at thisweekplpod at gmail.com. Feel free to ask any keeper questions, any early draft advice, anything you want to know about fantasy baseball, just send us an email or a tweet. And lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcast on. We're on all of them, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, so make sure you follow us on that. And please, if you could, leave us a five-star review. If you enjoy listening to the show, it would mean a lot to us. So, I briefly explained how this would all work, but let me just go over it again. So, John and I are going to do a way-too-early mock draft of the first two rounds for the 2024 Fantasy Baseball season. How it's going to work is we're going to alternate taking picks, and we're going to base it off of a 12-team league, standard, head-to-head, 5 by 5 categories. So, the main runs... RBI, home run, stolen base, and batting average, as well as pitching side of things, strikeouts, ERA, whip, wins, and saves. That's how we're going to do it. And before we actually start making picks, 
John, would you like to tell the people maybe a little bit more of the background on how you like to approach drafts? What do you prioritize? What do you look for? Do you play any favorites in that regard? Is there a specific stat you want to attack early on? What's your whole deal going into a draft? Yeah, so it's it's kind of funny because my home league is an auction draft. And so I'm actually really terrible at redraft leagues because the whole point with auction drafts is, you know, you and I, I prefer doing like a stars and scrub sort of um, strategy, right? Where you pay you pay up a lot of money up front for, you know, some stars and then you fill in your back end with you know, a couple like one to two dollar picks. Right. Um, and so, you know, you, you try to get the really good players to cover kind of the majority of your categories. And then you pick guys in the one to two dollar range who can kind of contribute here and there. But, you know, those are guys that you're not really excited to take so really what that looks like in redraft is i like to take guys who you know are going in the first three rounds maybe the first five rounds and take multiple uh like you know let's just hope like six guys out of you know people who would go in the first three rounds in redraft and then fill out the back end with guys who are being drafted in like rounds you know 15 to 23 essentially and so when it comes to redraft, it's it's a little tough because I'm like, wait, there's I can't get Shohei Otani and Kyle Tucker on the same team. <laughs> like, what world is it? Why why can't I do that? It's and so, um, so that's what makes redraft more difficult for me because I have to actually be more balanced and uh, and think about. Oh, okay, I know I can't get like multiple top tier players, or I can't get you know like multiple tier one players. How do I then figure out how to spread out the wealth throughout the rest of the draft? Yeah, redraft and auction are definitely different beasts on how to tackle stuff because my home league is a keeper league, so the draft looks a little bit different every year. Some of the best players are kept, of course, so the rounds are a little bit different, but besides that league and one dynasty league, all of my other leagues are redrafts, so I tend to really enjoy a redraft and... That's pretty much how I make all of my rankings, and that's my bread and butter. I don't really do any auction drafts, although they're really fun. I've done a few in my day. I just haven't been in a league where I have an auction draft, and I really want to be in one. So maybe that's something I do next season, but it's definitely a different strategy. Like you said, the Stars and Scrub strat is huge in auction, where you're able to get a Mookie Betts and a Corbin Carroll in the same outfield, whereas in a redraft league, that is literally impossible. So... (laughs) it's definitely a different dynamic when it comes to the structure of how you draft, how I approach redraft leagues. So I'm going to break it down like this. I, I guess in the last, let's say three seasons, I've prioritized taking bats over pitchers heavily. Mm -hmm. So I tend to not take any pitchers in the first three or four rounds. I want to solidify a strong core of offense that I can build around later on in the draft. So I usually will hold off on pitchers, and it's different when you're in those 15-team leagues or 20-team leagues, those industry leagues where you know people are going to go in certain spots. Those are different beasts, but I'm talking about a 12-team redraft league, standard 5x5. I like to tackle offense early because those kind of talents really don't pop up too frequently later on in the draft or on your wire within the season. So I like to tackle that early on and save the pitchers for maybe the rounds 5 to 12, where I take dart throws Mm -hmm. on guys that have huge upside. Like last season, I took Luis Castillo in a redraft league in the 6th or 5th round. I took Kevin Gosman in the same range, 5th or 6th round. I took somebody like Jeffrey Springs in the 12th round, which was a little egregious early on last season, but he obviously performed well in those three starts he had before he got hurt. (laughs) So I tend to go for high upside pitching in my drafts, and I tend to attack that a little bit later on. I like to mix reliable arms like, 
I know I don't like to reference this guy right now, but Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito. I liked attacking those guys last season in the yep. middle of Real my Real reliable guys there. Yeah. Real reliable guys there. <laughs> the best sources of reliability, obviously. Yeah. Definitely don't give up a lot of home runs or go on three different teams the whole season. So <laughs> I like to mix those kind of guys, you know, the Charlie Mortons. And I'm obviously referencing really not great performers from last season, but those kind of guys mixed with those high upside guys like Reed Detmers, Jeffrey Springs. I like to do that to build my pitching staffs because when you do that, you can focus on the hitting early on and you can easily filter out those pitchers with waiver wire pickups and kind of find your success there. As long as I have one or two of those main aces to build around, like a Kevin Gosman or Luis Castillo, whoever's going in that five to seven range that I believe can perform like an ace, that's what matters to me because I can always find good pitching on the wire or later on in the draft. So that's what I tend to do going into a redraft. And then I usually like to take my guys. And when I say my guys is early on in the beginning of the season, I like to write down a few names at certain positions, like maybe two names at each position that I believe is going way later than they should be. And a guy that's a great example of that last season, like at first base, if I struck out on all of my targets early on, I had to have Christian Walker. He was a guy I wanted everywhere and it paid off. He played like a third or fourth rounder and he was going in the 10th to 12th round range. And I just saw an easy market opportunity there. So that's usually how I like to approach my drafts. Studs at the top, mainly offense, then kind of attack, maybe one or two aces in those middle top rounds, then just start grabbing high upside guys or guys that could take the next step and be someone that performs in the top five rounds. So that's usually how I approach things. I know everyone varies when it comes to drafting. There's no perfect way to draft. And I think that's important to know going into our sort of mock draft here. But there is no correct way to draft. There is a bunch of people who make podcasts and industry experts. They can give you advice on who to take first, who to take 10th, who to take in a certain position in the draft, in the size of your league of a draft. But it's always going to be different and tailored to your league. So make sure you remember that going into the season. Keep an open mind. Play how you want to play and build a team how you want to build your team. Because that's the most important thing. If you can build a team that you know can perform or that you can constantly make better, that's going to be a good team. You have to leave all of your options open and just go into the draft with a plan, but not really a plan because as John and I know way too well is you can have a plan going in and then the second one guy gets taken a little bit earlier than you expected, the plan goes out the window. And it usually happens like round two or three where the whole plan just kind of goes away. And then you have to kind of free ball it all and kind of understand, hey, I've got to reassess here. So before we get into our actual beginning of this mock draft, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be back after this. All right, we are back and it's time to do our mock draft. John, would you like to draft the first player or would you like to go second? You know what? I, I, I really enjoy drafting on the turns, so I'll go second. Okay, so are we going to do it where if I go one, you go two, and then at twelve we flip it. You'll go again, and then we'll yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll take the I'll take the one twelve, and then the two one. Okay, cool. So I will start off the first round with a surprise pick here. I <laughs> guess people wouldn't be assuming that I'll take this player. It's kind of a wild card, but oh, yeah. I'm going to take Ronald Acuna Jr. with the number one overall pick. 
it's pretty obvious, right, everyone? I mean, there's no surprises here. This is the first one overall pick that I can remember where it's a no-brainer. Like, since Mike Trout in the early stages of his career, where he was a definitive number one and there was no other options, this kind of feels like the same thing. Just to recoup his whole season and let you know what he did, I'm sure you don't need a refresher, but just to remind you, he played in 159 games, he hit 41 homers, stole 73 bases, batted 337 with a 416 OBP, a 596 slug, and a 1012 OPS. Pretty incredible. He also had 106 RBI and 149 runs scored. He is easily the first pick in your fantasy drafts. Every other bit of information can all be opinionized. This is not an opinion. This is a fact. He will be the number one overall pick in your league. And if he isn't, probably change your league or congratulations on the free money because that's just stupid in my opinion. It's kind of hard to argue against that because... If he even gets close to his steals projection, which as of now, you know, Steamer is kind of the main one that's out so far. They have projected him for 56 steals. Let's just say he doesn't go insane and he gets like 40 steals. That's still a guy who's got 30 homer power, 40 steals at the top of your draft. And you basically kind of don't need to worry about steals for the rest of like the next five rounds. Yeah, And that's a huge thing, right? Like, obviously, Acuna is kind of injury prone if we want to really hone in on it he played 111 games in 2018 when he was called up so that's excusable then 156 which is obviously great 46 in 2020 which was the shortened season he didn't play in 14 games then 82 in 2021 119 in 2022 and then played a full season in 2023 so it's not fair to give him the injury prone label but he's only Mm -hmm. played a full season twice technically so you have to keep that in mind but I don't like to basically give someone that moniker because you can give that to Mike Trout nowadays where you know he'll miss probably 30 to 40 games. You can kind of just pencil that in where if you take Mike Trout, you're going to hope for 120 games of the best production. For Acuna, I don't think you could do that quite yet. He was healthy this season. He gets hit a lot, which is always scary and concerning, but I think he's just the no-brainer overall number one pick because like you said, Fangraphs has him at 38 homers, 56 steals, 134 runs, 100 RBI, with a 318 average and 404 OBP. If he even comes close to that, he's easily the number one overall player again. And I think they kind of lowballed him. The 38 homers is pretty high. I believe that projection. Like, I think that's good. Mm-hmm. 56 steals, though, I think he gets 60 plus again. So mm. I don't know about the batting average. The OBP is probably going to be somewhere around 400. He's going to score over 100 runs and have over 100 RBI easily. But the steals, I think, are more. The homers, maybe a little less. But regardless, if he goes 30, 50, 100, 120, he's rank one, and there's no debate. So for me, Mm -hmm. it's an easy number one pick in Ronald Acuna. He's on the Braves, and they have the same team, and they will have the same team for, like, the next six years. So there's really nothing to overthink here. If you have the first pick in your draft, no matter what size the league is or whatever the scoring is, Take Acuna number one overall because I don't think you could go wrong. If he's healthy, he's going to probably be the best player in fantasy. Yeah. Um, All right. So pick two. So this is interesting here. And also just for people who are uh, listening to the pod, um, there was actually an article that came out, I think a couple of weeks ago from 
Ben Rosener on Pitchlist, where they uh, a couple PL guys did a, a, some mock drafts. So if you are wanting to see some more mock drafts, um, feel free to check out that article. For pick two, I think I'm going to go with Mookie Betts. Okay. Um, we talked about this last year. I didn't truly believe it, and then and then it happened where I was like, oh, okay, that that's actually kind of a serious thing. Outfield is very top heavy, right? Mm-hmm. And we know that that's going to be a place of of uh, concern again this year. It's not like there's magically a lot a lot more better outfielders. It's you you've got like probably what I'd say fifteen to twenty really really good outfielder ones and twos, and then uh, after that point, it, it, the talent drops off by a lot. And I think the nice thing with Mookie is that he gives your team a lot of opportunities to to draft differently in the in the later drafts because he's going to have outfield eligibility, obviously, but he also has second base eligibility, and I believe he also gets shortstop eligibility for next season. Yeah. So the thing with Mookie on Yahoo specifically, he'll have second short and outfield eligibility, which is insane. Mm-hmm. I don't know about all of the other sites. I think he'll definitely have second. And he might carry over short, but he'll have second and outfield no matter what. Right. And so that allows you to kind of pivot in the future. Like if in later rounds, you're like, oh, here's a second, like here's a second baseman that I want to get maybe like a round earlier. It's like, but, uh, or, you know, you're targeting someone, you can kind of pass a little bit if you're like, oh, there's actually a better outfielder person here than, you know, than who's available at second because I have Mookie Betts. Right. And so being able to have that flexibility at the beginning of your draft, I think is, is super key. And uh, I think out of kind of the three or four ish outfielders, depending on who you're talking about, that are that are in the the top five rankings, it's like Mookie, Corbin Carroll, J. Rod, and, and Kyle Tucker, um, and I guess Tatis as well. Uh, Mookie's, I think, it's the one for me that is the best way to set up the rest of your draft, and also he's got pretty good stats as well. Yeah, you can't argue that his stats are phenomenal. I mean, he had 39 homers, 14 steals, 126 runs, and 107 RBI across 152 games played. So Mookie is no slouch. Obviously, the steals kind of went down from what we expect Mm -hmm. from Mookie. We always kind of pinned him as a 30-30 guy, but now as he gets older, he's actually hitting more homers, which is awesome to see. So if he's a 35-15 guy, that's just as good, especially because of that eligibility. Second short and out. And also there's more information that came out that Mookie Betts is to continue playing second base in 2024. Dodgers GM Brandon Gomes said that he will continue to play second base next season. Gavin Lux, when he comes back from his injury, should be seeing shortstop primarily for the Dodgers. So Mookie probably won't retain short, but second and out, I can see Mookie playing for the whole season. So no matter what, he'll have those two eligibilities. If he has short, that's just a huge bonus because Mm -hmm. you really have that flexibility, like you said, in your draft to kind of pivot wherever you need and to see fit. So I like Mookie a lot. I think that's a great pick at two. But you left the window open for my actual number two pick. Like if I was drafting yeah. second, this is who I would take. And it's Corbin Carroll. Really no yeah. surprise there. And it kind of is a coin flip. Now, like we said, Ronald Acuna is easily number one. So there's no debate there. But two, three, four, and five, even two through ten really, you can kind of flip a coin with any of these guys because they're all so phenomenal. But specifically mm-hmm. one through five where you have – the big outfield core, which is, I would include Acuna, Corbin Carroll, Julio Rodriguez, Mookie Betts, and Kyle Tucker. That's like the big outfield trio. And there's another mini outfield trio after, but those guys are the main outfielders that you want in those first few picks in your draft. And to me, 
Corbin Carroll is just everything you want in a fantasy player. And I think he'll only get better. The only thing that's scary about Corbin Carroll is that shoulder. Because if that shoulder does act up again, then maybe he gets injured. Maybe he misses time. But once again, I don't want to think too much about that. I don't want to go into the season thinking, oh, this guy's going to get hurt because of a previous injury. No, I want to think that if someone's going to get 160 games played, what's the best result I'm going to get? And Corbin Carroll in his first season in the bigs, Went 25 homers, 54 stolen bases, 285 batting average, 362 OBP, with 116 runs scored and 76 RBI. Now, he's literally 23 years old, and the Diamondbacks are exciting. They just went to the World Series. Unfortunately, they lost. It would have won me a lot of money in a bet I made, but I love Corbin Carroll. I love what the Diamondbacks are doing, and I think that the steals stay the same or even increase. I could see him getting over 60. I could see the homers going to 30. So as long as he continues to grow, to get that power in his arsenal, to continue to steal bases and continue to get on base at the clip that he does, I just think he's a force to be reckoned with. Like the guaranteed steals that you get from Corbin Carroll make him worth it alone. But if he can couple that with 30 plus homers, he's a no-brainer for me at two let alone three. So yeah, with the third pick, I will take Corbin Carroll. And I think it's important to stress, like John said, outfield's very top heavy. I think it's really important. Last season, I stressed this as well. And the season before that, I stressed third base a lot. Last season, I stressed outfield a lot. I want outfield early because I don't want to have to rely on guys later on in the draft where it's like, oh yeah, I'll just rely on Yandy Diaz or one of these random outfielders that hopefully they break through because they're so inconsistent later on in the draft. I want at least one or two studs in the outfield if I can get them. So that's why I think the first five picks or so are usually outfielders because this season, just like last season, I think it's very important to prioritize outfielders. All right. Well, pick four. Um, surprise, surprise. I'm going with another outfielder. And let's be honest, this guy I kind of like a lot because he has the track record. Uh, it's uh, J-Rod, Julio Rodriguez. Uh, he had a 30-30 season last year. There's no reason he can't repeat that this year. And you know, for a guy who, you know, if we want to compare him to Corbin Carroll for a little bit, he has more power than Corbin. He doesn't have the speed, obviously. Right. Um, but, you know, let's just say he gets five less steals than Corbin and five more homers than Corbin. Uh, maybe a little bit of a lower average uh, because, you know, his his game is a little bit more power heavy rather than contact. Um, I really like that from a number four guy. And like you said, it's kind of a coin flip between a bunch of these players. Um and I think J-Rod getting him four when he could easily go anywhere between two to four, in my opinion, uh, is is a really great, uh, really great move. And I think that's why it's actually kind of nice to be maybe number four in the draft this upcoming season, because you you don't have to, like, worry about, oh, do I need to pick between Mookie or Corbin or J-Rod? It's like, well, I'll just get the guy who's who doesn't get picked out of these and I'll be happy regardless. Yeah, that's a great point because last season it was kind of good to be in that three or four spot as well because you had the, I guess, trio of Acuna, then you had Aaron Judge, and then you had like, who was the third? Yeah, Trey Turner, right? So like yeah. you really wanted to go three or four because whoever fell to you out of those guys, you would just scoop up. And mm -hmm. I think that's similar to this as well, where you, if you get the fourth or fifth pick, 
you get one bona fide stud and you get a better pick on the turn. So I'd really like to Julio at four. If I had to rank these four picks that we just did in a redraft, I would personally take them Ronald Acuna, Corbin Carroll, Julio Rodriguez, Mookie Betts. How would you rank those four? I think we kind of know based on this draft, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a sucker for more power. So I think for me, it'd be probably be Acuna. I mean, I did go Mookie too, so I'll have to stick with that. Okay. I like J-Rod a little bit more than Corbin only because I think it's easier to find like random steals later in the draft just because of how different the, the, um, the environment is nowadays with 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 stolen bases homers is still pretty easy to find so it's it's kind of a toss-up between the two to be completely honest it kind of depends on you know do you want to be better in steals or do you want to be better in homers and i think just with steals like it because of the categories league you know like sometimes you just need like one or two more than your opponent to win you don't need to have a guy that can that can get 40 steals and so i'd rather have the power from j-rod so just because homers is always like a really highly contested category in in head-to-head leagues yeah, that's a great point as well, because once again, this draft that we're doing, this mock draft, is geared towards a 12-team standard head-to-head league, not Roto, just head-to-head. And sometimes if you have someone like Corbin Carroll, in my opinion, or Bobby Witt Jr., they can single-handedly win you steals in a week. So mm-hmm. that's why I like grabbing the steel-heavy guys first, like the Acuna, the Corbin Carrolls, because power can be found elsewhere. If I can grab a Matt Olson and couple him with Corbin Carroll, then I feel really good about my power and my speed output because Olsen can win me homers in a week and Corbin Carroll can win me steals in a week. So I like doing that sort of coupling. I kind of think about that when I go into my drafts of, hey, who can I pair together to make the best possible outcome and who could carry me in certain weeks in certain stats? So I think that's important Mm -hmm. going into your drafts to think about because that's why I put Mookie Betts fourth. Julio, I think, is better overall than both Corbin Carroll and Mookie Betts in terms of getting consistent homer and steal production. But Corbin Carroll's steals put him way above. And then Mookie Betts has similar power to Julio, but less steals. So I put him a little bit under. But because of the eligibilities, he you can kind of bump him up to two if you want to. So that's where I kind of have that. But to me, those are the guaranteed top four picks in the draft, where it's Acuna, Corbin Carroll, Julio Rodriguez, and Mookie Betts in whatever order you want. So those are the first four. I think that's what we're going to see as the trend going into 2024, but we could always be wrong. But moving on to the fifth overall pick, kind of left me open here with a few options, and I'm going to take Bobby Witt Jr. Mm, And the reason why is because he is third base eligible as well as shortstop eligible. And I think the third base is what I really like to see here. To me, he's now the official rank one third baseman taking over Jose Ramirez's role. And Jose Ramirez is still great. And just a little spoiler alert, I still have Jose Ramirez in my top 10 picks. But Bobby Witt solidified himself as a guy that I want to take in the first five picks, especially with third base eligibility. Last season, he had 30 home runs, 49 stolen bases, a 276 batting average, and 319 OBP. The OBP is obviously really low. In this example, like I said, we're doing batting average, standard 5x5, five five, so 276 you can easily stomach. That's no problem. The runs are a little low for someone who stole 49 bases. It's 97, but that's because he's on the Royals. And the RBI was 96, which is actually pretty high for being on the Royals. But Bobby Witt is just a stud. 
That's two straight seasons where he's been impressive. 2022 is rookie year, 20 homers, 30 steals. This season, 30 homers, 49 steals. He's only getting better. He's 23 years old. I really, really like Bobby Wood Jr. I've really sold myself on him more so lately because last season I was kind of out on Bobby Witt because I just saw some red flags. He batted 250. His OBP was low, under 300 last season. Well, sorry, in 2022, I should say. 294 OBP, just not good. So I saw a lot of red flags, but he's also a rookie. And this season, he just thoroughly impressed. So to me, Bobby Witt is the rank one third baseman, rank one shortstop. You can't go wrong with Bobby Witt Jr., especially in the fifth pick. So if you have a top five pick this season, I think you should be beyond happy because you should be able to get one of the five guys we just named. Yeah, I mean, I remember last year, like Bobby Witt was going kind of in the middle of the first round in a lot of mock drafts uh, in the offseason. I was like, this is crazy, you know? Like, this is a guy who, yeah, he showed some flashes his rookie season, but he wasn't like a top seven pick. And then, lo and behold, he proved everyone who doubted him wrong because he was incredible last year. And I think I, I became a believer when he hit a grand slam to lead the Royals over the twins. So then I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. He can kind of generate some offense on this really terrible team. So (laughs) yeah, Bobby Witt, I really like there at, at five. Uh, I'm going to go a little crazy at six. Okay. And this is where I think my personal bias maybe comes into play where, and I, my tendency to rely maybe a bit, on more on projections than feel. Uh, I'm going to go with the absolute YOLO pick of Fernando Tatis Jr. Oh, okay. Is is he is his team going to be good next year? Who knows? <laughs> is he actually going to play 160 games? Is he just going to, you know, fall while practicing soccer on the Padres outfield and twist an ankle? I don't know. <laughs> but this is a guy who has legit like 30-30 potential in 141 games last season. 25 homers, 91 runs, 78 RBIs, 29 steals. So imagine if he played 20 more games. Does that get him to 30-30 potentially? Uh, The Padres Padres lineup as a whole is probably going to be worse next year, which doesn't help in the RBI department or the run department, frankly, for Tatis. Uh, But I do think that there's a lot of potential here. Like He could finish the season as the number one shortstop and as a top three player if everything works out for him. that's and that's the big thing with Tatis, right? It's 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 if everything works, and sometimes you don't want to go for those, you know, wild swings in the first round. But you know, for a guy like Tatis, I'm willing to do it, uh, and so that's that's what has me picking him at six. Yeah, so I'm kind of surprised by that pick. So how I'm doing this draft? Obviously, we're not building a team, right? Like I have two outfielders already. It's a two team mm-hmm. league at the moment, so <laughs> yeah. I'm not really building a team. I'm not trying to tell you guys how to build a team here. I'm just kind of going off my rankings of who I would take and who falls to me and going with the best possible guy on my board that I personally wrote down. So I had Fernando Tatis Jr. at 19, believe it or not. So Wow, okay. Yeah, and the reason for that is not because I don't believe in Tatis or anything like that because I think he is one of the guys that could easily be rank one overall next season if everything clicks, right? Like, he has that potential. But I am personally terrified of the being of Fernando Tatis Jr., Because, first of all, he's only going to have outfield eligibility, which isn't a downside because, once again, outfield is needed. You need those top outfielders. And he's someone that could easily go 30-30 in his sleep, right? But I'm scared of just the random outlier of him, possibly. And like I said, I didn't really want to weigh this too heavy. But 
possibly getting injured, possibly doing something stupid. We saw him get suspended for PEDs, and then he only put up how many homers? 25. 25 homers in 141 games. In 130 in 2021, he hit 42. So, I mean, that's 11 less games and nearly, what, 17 more homers? Like, that's a big difference. So, I don't really know if the PEDs were helping him in that regard. I don't want to say definitively yes, just because of one season. But I don't know, man. I'm kind of scared off by Tatis, and I already know the talent is there. And I think Mm -hmm. at six, that's a great gamble. Like, I'm not shunning the pick at all because if you want to win a league, sometimes you got to take picks like that, right? So it's tough, but he batted 257 last season. The Padres might lose Juan Soto. The team around him might get worse. He's injury prone. He was on PEDs. I'm just scared by the enigma of Fernando Tatis. So that's Mm -hmm. why I have him personally towards the middle or late of the second round. If he falls to me there, I'm all over him, but I just don't want to take the risk that early, but I don't blame you for taking him there because the upside is tremendous. So I like Tatis, but you gave me a pretty much free pick here. I'm going chalk pretty much here. Like I said, I'm just following my rankings. I'm going to go Kyle Tucker. Yep. And it's just kind of obvious. Once again, he's one of the big five outfield options that you can get early on in your drafts. And Last season, just another solid season. 29 homers, 30 steals, 112 RBI, 97 runs, 284 batting average, 369 OBP. Just as solid as they come. The year before that, 30 homers, 25 steals. The year before that, 30 homers, 14 steals. Always bats around 280. OBP around 350. He's just everything you want out of your first six-pick outfielder. So I'll take Kyle Tucker. Really not too much to elaborate on him. He's been great. I wish... I just simply wish the Astros would bat him like second or (laughs) third, just somewhere not sixth or fifth. And I know their lineup is stacked, so it really doesn't matter where he bats. But just a dream lineup would be Altuve. Then you Mm -hmm. go Kyle Tucker. Then you go Alex Bregman or Jose Abreu, whatever flavor of the week you want to do there. Then you go Jordan Alvarez, and then you do the other guy, either Bregman or Abreu. Just that lineup is so good. Just put... Tucker second. I don't want to see Mauricio Dubon batting second or Jeremy Pena batting second. Put Kyle Tucker there. Let him score 125 runs. Just let him go. Unleash Kyle Tucker to the world. So, yeah, I love Kyle Tucker. I think he's a boring pick, albeit, but a better pick that you can make in the first six rounds. Yes. Uh, if I'm going to be honest, I I would I would love Kyle Tucker at, at the pick that I took Tatis on at six. Um my only problem with Tucker is that, like, if you're in a head-to-head league, like, there he has, he just goes through dry spells from time to time. Yes, true. He's like a he's a great roto player. But then last year in my uh, in my uh, championship, two week championship, like two week championship matchup, Kyle Tucker did absolutely nothing. Yeah, and uh, that that put him down a notch in my rankings. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. That's a personal bias, obviously, but it's also yep. really true for those who play in head-to-head leagues. You know there are guys that are very, very hot and cold. They go on these big streaks where they're dominant and they carry you, but then they're absolutely useless in a big stretch of time. And in John's case, in the playoffs, the worst time to have a cold spell, he had that happen. So I don't blame you one bit, and I agree with that. In head-to-head leagues, you kind of have to be wary of that. And just to make your pick sound even better, Tatis is someone that can carry you week in and week out. He could be dominant and always provide for you, whereas Kyle Tucker might be a dud. He's going to give you the stats at the end of the year better for roto seasons, like you said, but 
for a head-to-head league, he might not do everything you need him to do. So I agree with you on that front 100%. Yeah, I wish there was a way that we could like quantify consistency. Yes, like we have like all these we have all these like average, you know, results, but that's over a 162 game season. Right. It's not like, you know, what and I mean that's kind of the nice thing of rolling charts. Um, you know, yes. shout out to Scott Chu who loves rolling charts. But uh that is one nice thing, but it's like not an easy thing to distill in like yes. a leaderboard, you know. So. It's also hard to look at. Like a lot of people don't understand rolling graphs. I know yeah. mm-hmm. when I first saw them for the first time, I was confused. I understand them more now, but just looking at them sometimes, like, what does this mean? And you can see the, the trends going up and down and whatnot, but it's it's hard to concept. I wish there was a metric that we could do for consistency across a head-to-head league because that would be a banger. People would love mm-hmm. to you know go back to that and see that. Like A running joke in our league back in the day was always trade for Edwin Encarnacion in the second <laughs> half because oh, yeah. he always was better in the second half. He stunk in the first half. So it was always a running joke. And if we had that kind of model to just go back and be like, wow, look, so in the first two months, he's not too good, but he picks it up around here and is more consistent and kind of carries you around here. So if we could quantify that, that'd be really nice. Yeah. All right. At pick eight, this is where it gets interesting. Um, there's a lot of guys to choose from here. And I think, I think if I feel optimistic about it, which I guess I kind of am, uh, looking at projections, it's not super pretty, but it, it could be good. Uh, this is where I take Joe Ram. Oh, at pick eight. <clears throat> now you did have a good, good uh, uh, case here that Joe Ram is is maybe not the best third baseman now with Bobby Wood Jr. having third base eligibility. Um, but I'm just looking at Steamer projections for uh, for J Ram: 27 homers, 23 stolen bases, 93 runs, 97 RBI. That's not too bad. I will take that as like a near 30-30 sort of guy. Now, granted, Jerem didn't exactly have the best season last year. Uh, I think we could probably pretty much all agree on that. But that being said, I think, you know, maybe maybe we just treat that as a down year and accept the fact that like, okay, he might not be the most dominant third baseman now, but I think he he still is incredibly consistent. And I, I really like that in a guy that I'm going to take in the first round, despite the fact that I did just take Tatis. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, he, he had a bad year last year, and, that, and that's fine. Um, I think he can definitely bounce back. Now, I do also kind of personally believe that Austin Riley might actually be the best third baseman. But Ooh. but it's, I mean, that's, that's neither here nor there. I think if I'm drafting in the first round of my team, I'd rather have something consistent like Joe Ram rather than someone like Austin Riley, who like is really good and has shown flashes in the last two seasons of being amazing. Um, but maybe it, maybe the game's not completely there yet for Austin Riley. Maybe he's just like on a hot streak and might cool down this, this year. I'd rather believe in the comeback for Joe Ram for a guy who's done it year after year than a guy like Austin Riley, who's just only done it for, you know, two seasons. So obviously I love Joe Ram, but, if you're going to tell me his down year is 24 homers, 28 steals, sign me up every single season, twice <laughs> yeah. on Sunday. So, like, like I love Joe Ram, and I still think he's one of the best third base options you can have. Like, easily. Mm-hmm. There's no debate. You could argue that he's better than Bobby Witt. I mean, you truly could. Just saying, hey, yeah. Bobby Witt, you know, isn't as consistent. You know, we've only seen one or two seasons from him. Like, you can make a lot of different arguments. But Joe Ram is one of the best fantasy assets that you can have. And... Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to go a different route because I would have easily taken Joe Ram next as well. So I have yeah. Joe Ram seventh in mine. So yeah. I love that pick for you. I think you crushed it. Obviously, that's someone that 
is so reliable. Now, 80 RBI and 87 runs is definitely something low from a guy in the mm-hmm. first 10 picks. And yep. that's because the Guardians had a pretty bad team around them the whole year and a down season from Andres Jimenez and just overall not a great season for the Guardians. But Joe Ram is elite. And even with that bad team around him, he still had 80 plus RBI, 80 plus run a 282 batting average, 356 OBP, and 24 homers, 28 steals. So, yeah, sign me up for Joe Ram all the time. I think he's an incredible pick. I don't think you could go wrong going with Joe Ram. And if that's his down year, I can't wait to see next year because he is just a stud. The other thing, too, is like on a fantasy perspective, right? Like, you're like, oh, wow, Austin Riley had like, you know, 37 homers last year. Why wouldn't you draft the guy with more homers? Well, it's because Austin Riley had three steals. Yep. And Joe Ram, like you said, had... What was it 28 right yep. yep like there's a there's a definite possibility that joe ram has another 30 30 season and austin riley has like a 35 one season right yep. and for fantasy purposes especially at third base where steals are really hard to come by i'll take the guy who can maybe give me 25 possibly 30 steals rather than the guy who can give me 37 homers maybe a little bit better average but no steals at all and that's why I have for third base specifically, I have Bobby Witt and Joe Ram as one and two mm-hmm. by a lot, to be honest. The next tier is the guys that hit home runs and don't steal many bases and are just kind of consistent at this point, right? Rafael Devers, Austin Riley, and Manny Machado. Those three guys, they're not going to give you tons of steals. Machado more so than the other two. But mm-hmm. you're probably going to get between 30 and 40 homers, probably 40 on their best season, 30 on their worst. And you're going to get 100 plus RBI. And they're just going to be consistent and steady. And you want those guys. But mm-hmm. Joe Ram gives you consistent production from all sides. He's a five-tool player. You just want a guy like that and Bobby Witt as your third baseman if you're picking this early. Yeah. And uh, I should also say, like, this is a five-by-five league, right? But you and I both play in obp leagues yes um and my league also has slugging i, I can't remember if your main league has slugging as well no as it doesn't have slugging but obp yeah mean, yeah yeah so i yeah so my main league is a six by six league so when it comes to guys like austin riley they actually have a lot more value because now they're contributing not just an average but now they're contributing obp and slugging right, right. and so that's way more categories that guys like devers guys like austin riley even guys like manny machado have but then when you're in a five by five category, you only have one average category, right? It's just average. OBP isn't part of it. Slugging's not part of it. So really how good of a hitter you are is nice, but that steals category is just so much more important in a five by five league. Yeah, and just to compare really quickly, Austin Riley to Joe Ram, right? Mm-hmm. So Joe Ram had a two eighty two batting average last season. Austin yeah. Riley had a two eighty one, pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Joe Ram had a 356 OBP. Austin Riley had a 345. Pretty close. Slugging, Joe Ram 475. Austin Riley 516. Pretty close. OPS, Joe Ram 831. Austin Riley 861. So very similar, but Joe Ram gives you those steals. And I think in that yep. scenario, Joe Ram's just the better fantasy asset. Now, you're going to get more RBI from Austin Riley, probably more runs scored. But I-, I just think that Joe Ram is a better asset due to those steals. Right, totally. So now with Joe Ram off the board, this opens my floodgates for what I'm calling the big five or maybe the big seven. I don't know. You can really just (laughs) take this and go with it, but I'm going to go with the guy that was going one or two overall last Uh, season. Yeah. I'm going to go with Aaron judge. Mm -hmm. And if he was healthy this entire season, he was on pace to have a better year than when he broke the AL home run record. So yeah. I'm going to just disregard the fact that 
Dodger Stadium had a cement wall under their wall and broke Aaron Judge's toe. And if that didn't happen, I think Aaron Judge would have relatively been healthy because he was healthy every other moment except for when that freak accident happened. So give me Aaron Judge because there is no one besides maybe less than a handful of people that can do what he can do. And I'll take that any day of the week in the middle of the first round. I mean, this guy, just in 2022 alone, hit 62 homers, had 131 RBI, batted 311, and had a 425 OBP. Insane. This season, in just 106 games, had 37 homers and 75 RBI with a 406 OBP. I know this is a standard 5x5 with batting average, which he batted 267. But still, give me Aaron Judge. You can debate this spot. I think this is where all the debates will happen in your draft is the kind of 8 to 12 range on who you want to grab. And I think it's going to be mainly based on your team construction. But give me Aaron Judge because his skill set is not really replicable by any other person. So I'll take Aaron Mm -hmm. Judge there. All right. Well, I'm glad you took Aaron Judge because uh, I get to pick the first first baseman off the board at pick 10. And I'm going to go with Freddie Freeman. Um, Some people might be like, well, why did you want to go for the guy with more homers? Again, this is a five by five league. Freeman is one of those rare, like contributes at an elite level in all five categories. Um, And you're like, steals? Really? It's like, yeah, actually, like Freeman's steals numbers, like there were 13 stolen bases. This is projection from Steamer. Uh, Last season, uh, I'm trying to figure out how many steals he had. Um, Last season, Freddie Freeman had. 23, 23, 23 steals. stolen bases. Yep. Yeah. So uh, Matt Olson had one last season. So yep. yes, he did hit 54 homers, which is insane. But uh, besides that, Freeman was actually had him in, in runs, 131 and 127, was down in RBI, you know, obviously, uh, but had 22 more steals. And his average was almost 50 points higher than Matt Olson. So I, there's definitely arguments for Matt Olson here. I, I'm not saying that he's a clear number two compared to Freddie Freeman. Again, I think this is it's just kind of the conversation of when you're comparing a guy like Joe Ram to Austin Riley. Do I want the guy who can contribute in all five categories, or do I want the guy who will like dominate in like two? And I think right now at this uh, at this stage in the draft, at the at the end of the first round, when you're kind of going for a little bit more sure things, I'd kind of want the guy who's going to help me in all five categories. Yeah, so I think Freddie Freeman should be the first first baseman off the board. I don't think that's a surprise, and you taking him here is exactly what should happen. I think Freddie Freeman is critically slept on in drafts, and I don't think he will be this season, but he always goes towards the end of the first where he really should go in the front of the first because Mm -hmm. not many first basemen do what he does. Now, I will make an argument because you brought up that the steals were better, but Freddie Freeman is so inconsistent with steals. He had two in 2020, eight in 2021, 13 in 2022, 23 in 2023. Olsen is always reliable. He's going to get between zero and four every (laughs) season. So, No, Freddie Freeman is obviously... Better uh, all I around. I, I can't argue with that kind of consistency. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're talking about consistency here. I think it's very important to know I'm going to get zero to five. I might get five or 25 from Freeman. I don't know what's going on. So yeah. <laughs> so in reality, obviously, that was a joke. But mm-hmm. I think Freddie Freeman is by far the best first baseman for fantasy. I mean, just last season, he had 131 runs, 102 RBI, 29 homers, 23 steals with a 330 batting average. 
I mean, you can't really go wrong with that. He's batted 300 for the last four seasons. He's had over 20 home runs for the last three seasons. He's had 100 RBI or more in the last two seasons. He's had over 115 runs scored in the last three seasons. So overall, you can't get more consistent than Freddie Freeman. And I think that's just an excellent pick where you took him. And I think that's where he should go, right in the middle of the first round. I don't blame you if you take Freeman over Joe Ram. I don't blame you if you take Freeman over Bobby Witt. I don't blame you if you take... Freeman over Kyle Tucker. Any of that range is fine. Freddie Freeman is an amazing first base asset, and I think he should be the first off the board. Now, ah, man, this is hard. So I'm going to actually go opposite just to make it so that you don't have to take a second first baseman and I don't take another outfielder, which I've got like five at this point. But (laughs) I will take Matt Olson right after you take Freddie Mm -hmm. Freeman. I think I would normally go Jordan Alvarez in this scenario if he was available, but just for the sake of you not taking two first basemen, like I said, I'm going to go with Olsen. I think he deserves to be the second first baseman off the board. And you can argue with him and Pete Alonso that they're very similar players and they kind of yin-yang when it goes to who's going to have a great year. So I think this is Olsen's career year, right? This is clearly the outlier year where he batted 283, his highest ever. 389 OBP, highest ever. Slug 604, I would say highest ever, but in 2017, in 59 games, he had a 651 slug. But throwing that out, 604 slugging, highest of his career. 139 RBI, 20 more than the highest in his career. 54 homers, pretty much 20 more than the high in his career. So all across the board, these stats are the highest of his career. This is clearly a career year. Is he capable of doing this again? Absolutely. Of course. And that's why I'm taking him here, because if he does do anything similar to this, he might outproduce Freddie Freeman. Do I think he will? Probably not. But it's the closest I can get. And an asset like this, kind of similar to Aaron Judge, when no other first baseman can do this, I want that skill set. So give me him. And one thing that's kind of unspoken about with Matt Olson is his consistency. And the only person who pretty much out-consistencies Matt Olson is Freddie Freeman in this regard. Freddie Freeman's last games played, I mean... I don't want to just list them all, but I'm going to. From just 2011, okay? This is wild. 2011 to 2023, here is the games played for Freeman. 157, 147, 147, 162. 118, 158, 117. 162, 158, 60 in the 60 shortened season. 159, 159, 161. He is always on the field. Same with Matt Olson. Going back to 2018, his games played 162, 127, 60 in the shortened season, 156, 162, 162. So he's played a full season two years in a row. So if you want someone who's always going to be in your first base slot playing every single game, it goes Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson, the two most consistent producers there. So I'm all in on both those guys. I'll take Matt Olson there. So with me taking Olsen, that marks the 11th pick in the draft, and we're coming up to the turn where John will get two picks. But before we get into those two picks, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back after this. Okay, we are back, and it's time for the turn and the beginning of the second round. John, who are you taking back to back? All right, I've been thinking about this. I'm I'm trying to figure out how risky I want to be here, and... I'm feeling risky, you know. I think when you're you're on the turn, you get two picks, which is nice. Uh, you get a pick. It, it kind of feels like you're getting kind of the leftovers of the the first round, but you can kind of reach a little bit uh, in the second round because you've got the first pick here. Uh, if you looked at the pitcherless uh, mock draft results, 
they all went with the the guys who picked at 12 specifically picked a certain player and then they picked a pitcher now as a personal philosophy similar to what you were talking about earlier i don't really like taking the top tier pitchers i like taking bats in the first you know three to four rounds and then take my pitchers later and so i think that's that's influencing who i'm taking here at the 112 and the 201 and i i think i'm a little insane with with making these choices at the but at the same time i actually kind of feel good about it so i'm gonna go with Shohei Otani at the 112 okay. and Bryce Harper at the 201. Oh, okay. So it's a little risky here, uh, obviously, because Shohei Otani is, you know, to get he's going to get something, modified Tommy John, some sort of surgery. Uh, and uh, he's only going to be batting, and he's only going to be DHing, right? So uh, yeah, he, he's going to be filling a utility spot on, on, this, on this team, and I, I totally understand that. Bryce Harper, on the other hand, the Phillies have said, hey, he is going to be playing first base for all of 2024. And is Bryce Harper the third best first baseman off the board? I, I don't know. There's a potential for that. Just looking at his stats, over 126 games last season. So he let's just say he could have played 30 more to finish out the season. Uh, 21 homers, 84 runs, 72 RBI, 11 steals, 293 average. So... In just, you know, in 30 games less than than other guys, other first basemen, he had a, a really decent amount of runs in RBI on a really dominant uh, Phillies team. And those home run and stolen base totals, I would expect to get at least probably five more in those categories. So, you know, is he close to be pushing like a, a 30-15 season? I, I think that's definitely possible for Bryce Harper. And if you can get that from the first base position, uh, we already know how how tough it is to get steals from first base. If I can get a guy who can get me 15 steals at that position, um, I'll take that. Shohei Otani, on the other hand, I mean, obviously, the, the power is the big thing. Maybe a, a blessing in disguise here is that he's not going to get, you know, kind of the exhaustion from pitching every six days uh, in that rotation. He's just going to be batting next season. Maybe he pitches at the end of the season, but I highly doubt the Angels are going to, or not the Angels, whatever team signs him uh, <laughs> is going to risk him in that way. So he's going to be the full-time DH for, let's just call it, you know, hopefully 150 games next season. And if I can get, get that type of hitter, and, and Otani's, you know, obviously, you know, probably still one of the best hitters in the game, even with this modified um, elbow injury, uh, I, I, think, I think that's a really good uh, pickup at the end of the first round. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's so hard. Like, I first of all love Bryce Harper. So he was going in the first round, even like the top three picks in some seasons, you know, after he won MVP and mm -hmm. all that stuff. He's such a good player, and it looks like he's back to normal after the surgery and all the issues he had. So it looks like he's back to normal. And it stinks that he won't have outfield eligibility because I think I would rank Bryce Harper a little bit higher as well if he had outfield. Because he mm -hmm. has first base, yes. he's kind of in that lump sum of Matt Olson and Pete Alonzo and maybe Vlad Jr. on the lower scale. So mm -hmm. it's kind of tough to rank Bryce Harper this season. But I love him, and I think he can return a great value if you take him in the second round. Like, I would love to take Bryce Harper in the second round, and I think that's where he'll go. He isn't warranted a first-round pick just because he didn't play a full season last year. He kind of just got his power back towards the end of the season. So right. a lot of factors there, but I really love the Bryce Harper pick. Otani is so tough, and I think I want to reiterate this just because it's really important to do so. If this was a season where Otani was going to pitch and hit, and your league has him as one player, then mm -hmm. Otani probably is your one overall. Yes. So completely. 
Just remember that. But this is a 2024 early mock draft where Otani will only be DH. And I think what really hinders him is that he is only a DH. So you have to play him in a util spot. And most leagues have one or two util spots. And right off the bat, you'd be clogging up that util spot with someone. Now, is there a better util option? Probably not. So it makes you feel good about that. But it really does stink that you can't really have any versatility when it comes to Otani for next season because he will only be batting and only be the DH. But I mean, he's a guy that hits 30 homers, steals 20 bases or more. He's just so reliable and so good that you really can't pass up that talent towards the end of the first round or the beginning of the second round. So I don't blame you there. I had them both ranked pretty similarly. I had Harper 13 and Otani 14 for next season. So you pretty much took them in the same range. For me, with my next pick, the second pick in the second round, I'm going to take someone who I mentioned before, Jordan Alvarez. I just think that he is one of the most consistent power hitters that you can get. I don't think we've even seen his best season, his ceiling. He obviously has some trouble staying healthy, but he bats in the heart of the order for the Astros, one of the best offenses of the last, what, five, six seasons. Mm -hmm. You just can't go wrong with Jordan. On his regular season, he's going to hit 30 to 35 homers, have over 110 RBI, score probably 80 to 100 runs. You just really can't go wrong with Jordan Alvarez. So that's who I will select. I think he's so consistent. I think he's one of the best options as long as his knees hold up and his hands hold up. If he holds up, he's going to be a great fantasy contributor. And I think we can really see a Matt Olson type season from him one of these years, like 50 plus homers, 130 plus RBI, 320 batting average, 450 OBP, something crazy out of Jordan. So I think the ceiling is really high for him, but the floor is even higher. So I like Jordan Alvarez there. All right. Well, uh, in the Third pick of the second round for me. This was the team that I drafted Freddie Freeman on, I believe. Uh, I am going to take Juan Soto. Um, obviously, there's a lot. Of, there's been a lot of rumors on if the Padres are going to trade him, and it definitely looks like he's going to be leaving uh, San Diego. And this is a guy who, I don't know. I mean, it, could we say that Soto had a down year this year? I don't know. What, what's your opinion on that? Yes and no. It's really hard because. My best friend in my home league had mm -hmm. Juan Soto. And he would constantly tell me, he's like, man, Soto is a beast towards the end of the year. But when he yes. had him in the middle, he did nothing. He really <laughs> did nothing. He was slumping. Yeah. He was struggling. But he still ended up playing 162 games, which is a feat in its own. So mm -hmm. good job. Congratulations, Juan Soto. But he had 35 homers, 109 RBI, 97 runs. And had a 275 batting average with 410 OBP and also 12 steals. So 35-12, when you look at those stats at the end of the season in a Roto League, for instance, you're happy with that. That's kind of what you want from Soto, maybe a higher batting average. But you pretty much just ask for that kind of season because that's what you want out of him. I mean, you can't really call it a down year because in 2019, mm -hmm. which was his best season... He hit 34 homers, had 12 stolen bases, 110 RBI, 110 runs, 282 batting average, 401 OBP. So that was his best season, and it's really similar to this season. So was it a down year? No, but it felt like it because he started so slow. So yeah. that's the hard part for me. I mean, he's capable of hitting 350. In 2020, he hit 351 in 47 games, 490 OBP. He hit 313 in 151 games in 2021. So you want to see more of a 300 batting average with that 450 plus OBP, but mm -hmm. those counting stats from Soto this season were as good as he's ever had before. 
Yeah, I was looking at them. I was like, man, I remember like there was a good like month long stretch where Soto was doing absolutely nothing, and he was yep. kind of a trade piece that people yeah. were trying to get rid of on their teams. Yep. And uh, yeah, and then you look back, it's like, oh yeah, it was thirty five homers, and uh, he had over a hundred RBI, and. So, yeah, I, I think Soto here in the second round makes a lot of sense. He could have easily gone in the first round. But I think a lot of people who had them on their uh, had Soto on their rosters last season probably shying away just a little bit because they were like, yeah, he was like a nothing burger for like a month and a half. And uh, it was completely unreliable. And then, yeah, you look at the final season stats. He was like, huh, he was actually pretty good. And so, if he, yeah, if he repeats that this season and he's just a little bit more consistent and maybe he gets onto a team that, um, I don't know, uh, is is uh, is in a more hitter friendly park? Maybe that results in a little bit better stats for Soto, and I'll, I'll take that in the second round. Yeah, Soto was going to be my next pick, so definitely right on cue, right on brand. Where you took him, where he should go. I believe Juan Soto is not washed. I know a lot of people were like, "Oh, Juan Soto stinks" when he started off going slow, and yeah. I don't believe that at all. I think he's one of the best hitters of our generation. And I just think Soto is incredible. We don't know where he's going to play. If he's on a better team, then fantastic. Or if the Padres just kind of figure it out with all the talent that they have. And if they all can be mm -hmm. healthy. I mean, that lineup is really scary. So I think Soto is a great fantasy option. But he definitely belongs in that early second round, not the first round. Because he could be someone that just is a complete dud at any given time. Or not give you the counting stats that you want. So Soto is tough to really put a pin on but I think that's the right range to take him now for my next pick this has been a debate that I've been having and we talked a lot about this last season with Corey Seager where he should be taken around the likes of Aaron Judge and Jordan Alvarez and Freddie Freeman because he has a very similar skill set he does kind of the same things but this is the range where I kind of want to buy back in on Trey Turner and mm. This yes. is where you're looking at shortstops, and there's three shortstops that should probably go around each other, and that's Trey Turner, Corey Seager, and Francisco Lindor. Mm -hmm. And this has been a debate that when I knew we were doing this episode where we were doing this mock draft, I kind of struggled to decide whether I want to put Turner over Seager or Seager over Turner or Lindor over both of them. I really just didn't know. And ultimately, I ended up putting Trey Turner at the top. Obviously, his steals aren't as elite as they once were because of newcomers like Corbin Carroll and Bobby Witt and Julio Rodriguez. Like, 30 steals isn't as impressive as it once was when Trey Turner was doing 30-30 type stuff. But Trey Turner is still Trey Turner. And I think after the first full season in Philly... He's going to be more comfortable. I mean, since the fans gave him a standing ovation when he was struggling, he went on a rampage. He looked much more like the Trey Turner we drafted and wanted to see the stats from. So I really believe in Trey Turner, and I believe in a Trey Turner bounce back next season. So as the second shortstop off the board, right? I mean, I guess we're counting Mookie Betts. So Mookie, Bobby Witt, and the next shortstop off the board, I think I have to go Trey Turner. So that's my selection. It's hard. It's going to be a debate all offseason. Turner, Seager, or Lindor. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go Turner here. Yeah, I think Turner probably has the most upside out of the three. I agree. Right? Like, it, the thing with Seager, I think he's probably going to be the most consistent out of the three. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I think he's going to get drafted later in this draft yep. by one of us. And then Lindor's kind of the X factor, right? Um uh, I'll let him, I'll let you draft him uh, just for funsies. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he is kind of the guy who is like, he doesn't have the highest numbers out of the three. He's not the most consistent out of the three. 
but he could end up having the best stats out of the three just because let's just, you know, Seager somehow gets hurt or Trey Turner goes into another slump and then all of a sudden, hey, Lindor, that's right. He's actually a good player. And then, uh, yeah, that and it, it kind of works out. So looking forward to see where he goes. Um, in the fourth pick, this is the team that I drafted Joe Ramon, I believe. Yes. Um, so, again, this is kind of going against what I personally think should happen, but... I think if you're if you're in a normal redraft league and you're not like a pitcherless sicko like us, uh, <laughs> this is where you take Garrett Cole. Yes, absolutely. Um, if you want to get that elite pitcher, I think it makes sense right here. You're not it's not like Garrett Cole's gonna get drafted, you know, in the next two couple picks anyways. If you want an elite pitcher, you get him here. That you don't have to worry about pitching for the next few rounds. You can kind of focus more on some other uh, other positions. Um, and then especially on this team where you figured out third base, that really allows you to go after some more, you know, uh, outfielder two types. Uh, and let's just say you get like three outfielder twos. That's that's pretty solid for not having like an elite outfielder one and then a couple middling you know, outfielder threes to fill the other two spots in your outfield. So I'm going to go with Garrett Cole here. I don't know if there's really a lot to say here. He's an elite pitcher. He's finally going to get his first Cy Young uh, very deservedly, of course. And I think he, even though he's had, yeah, a few home run issues and, and stuff like that, I think he's still the most consistent um, pitcher. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of debate. Do you take Garrett Cole? Do you take Spencer Strider? Obviously, Strider has the strikeouts numbers, which are insane. But I think Garrett Cole's just a more consistent guy that you can trust uh, to lead in all four uh, starting pitching categories. Yeah, that's the perfect spot to take Garrett Cole right after Trey Turner leaves the board and all of the previous bats that we mentioned. Once they're all gone, that's when I would personally take a Garrett Cole or a Spencer Strider. And I have it just like you. I would have taken Garrett Cole before Strider as well. I have him ranked a little bit higher just because I like the consistency that Garrett Cole gives you as an ace. That's what I want. And obviously Strider strikeout numbers are what Cole's used to be. Cole obviously isn't the same strikeout pitcher as he once was, but Strider's inconsistency with his ERA and all of that. Obviously, I know the statistics that were underlying the metrics like XERA and all this other stuff was way lower. XFIP and everything like that. Like his mm -hmm. ERA was a little bit ballooned, but still give me the consistency of Garrett Cole. So my pick is going to be Spencer Strider just to get the two pitchers that will probably go in the first two rounds. I don't think another yeah. pitcher would. So mm -hmm. I'll take Spencer Strider just into that. And I think you capped it off perfectly according to pitchers. I think after that big solid chunk of bats that we just named go, that's the perfect time to take an ace like Garrett Cole or Spencer Strider. Pick your poison, which one you want. You want the excess strikeouts with the possibility of an amazing season, like a DeGrom-esque season, or mm. would you like the consistency of Garrett Cole? So I will take Spencer Strider here. I think that's the perfect spot to take a pitcher. All right. So uh, this team, this is the uh, seventh pick, I believe, in this in the second round. And this was the team that I drafted, Fernando Tatis Jr., so if you uh, want to balance out the volatility of Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, I think I am going to... It feels weird to take Corey Seager here, but I did promise that you could take Lindor, so I'm going to take Seager here. Okay. I think he's the most consistent out of those three shortstops. Uh, shortstop, obviously, is a position of need. Um, it's, you know, one of those, again, top-heavy sort of positions. And Seager, I mean, we said it all year. This is a guy who, if he played the first two season, uh, first two months of uh, of the season healthy, would have been an MVP candidate. He's a good hitter. He's he gets you know RBIs, he gets runs, he gets homers. The only knock against him is that he doesn't really steal bases. Um, but again, this was a team that I, I drafted Tatis on, so 
I should be able to get at least 20 stolen bases from from him. So that's where I'll take Corey Seager and be willing to take the fact that he does not get as many stolen bases. Yeah, once again, I probably would have taken Corey Seager right after those pitchers as well. That's kind of the gray area of do I take the pitchers or do I take Corey Seager and Lindor? Like, which direction do I want to go in? It's based on your preference, of course. But yeah, I agree. I think Corey Seager should be right after Trey Turner around there. I think that's the range he should go. It's obviously sad that we haven't seen a full season out of Seager where he put up the numbers that he can, kind of like Jordan Alvarez, similar Mm -hmm. situation there. But shortstop is so important now. Like last season, we were telling people, or at least I was telling people, to wait on shortstop. It's super deep. Get one of the last guys that are available. Like get Lindor in the third or fourth. Like that was the kind of element I was pushing. And then I realized in most of my leagues where I took O'Neal Cruz at short and he got hurt immediately, I was like, oh no, like the shortstop options aren't good. (laughs) The replacements are not good. So you really want to get one of those top shortstops similar to outfield early. So yeah, I think Seager is a great pick there. I'm going to take Francisco Lindor right after. And you know what? I think Lindor might have had the best season out of all three of the shortstops we mentioned between Mm -hmm. Trey Turner, Corey Seager, and Lindor. Lindor had 31 homers and 31 stolen bases. 30-30 season, 160 games played. That's two years in a row where he played 160 games or more, 161 and 22, 160 and 23. So I'm a big Lindor fan, obviously as a Mets fan of what he does, but he's just been so consistent his whole career. The only knock on him really is the batting average. It was 254 last season, which is not that great. 336 OBP is more serviceable, but in this situation for a 12-team 5x5 head-to-head with batting average, Lindor's a little bit of a boon there, but I think that if you have someone like a Freddie Freeman with your first-round pick and then you can Mm -hmm. couple him with Lindor, that's a great pairing because they'll both give you a 30-30-esque kind of season and the batting average will be somewhere between 300 for the both of them. So... I really like that pairing. Lindor also had 108 runs scored and 98 RBI. So just overall, I think the Mets are going to be a better team. I think Lindor is really settled in at City Field and as a New York Met. And I really like Lindor going forward. So I will take Lindor right after you take Corey Seager. All right. Uh, All right. With this uh, ninth pick in in the second round, this was the team that I took J-Rod. Uh, I'm going to flip a coin and I'm going to take Marcus Semyon over Ozzy Albies. Um, oh, I, I legitimately think you could pick either of these guys and be happy with them, but I'm going to take Semyon. Uh, why? Because he's played, uh, 162 games this past season. And then he played 161 the season before, and then he played 162 the season before that. Yep. Um, so that, that consistency in games played, I think is is a little bit better than than what Albies has shown. And over those three seasons, um, obviously he had that really amazing year in Toronto and then had a okay year in Texas, you know, 26 homers, 101 RBI, uh, 101 runs, 83 RBI, 25 stolen bases. Uh, and then this past year, uh, a little bit better in the runs department, 122 there, a little bit lower in the steals department, 14 there. Um, but he's just a guy who... I think you can just rely in day in, day day out on your teams. You don't have to worry about second get, second base for the rest of your season. With Ozzy, there's a little bit of health there. There's also a little bit of a kind of a slow starter there um, a little bit. And uh, I think I'd like Semyon just a little bit more at that spot. So this is also going to be a debate, just like kind of shortstop <laughs> and everything and third base. For me, second base is really important to get someone early. Like, yep. that's one thing I'm prioritizing 
in redraft leagues next season. Obviously, outfield is probably my number one shopping list item, but then second mm-hmm. base is probably second. And my option, like you said, Ozzy Albies, I actually don't have him in my first two rounds. I'm not a huge Albies guy, really? but I'm a okay. huge Altuve guy. Ah, yes. <laughs> so I think I think Marcus Semien is the right pick as the best second baseman and first one off the board. I just mm-hmm. think that's right, especially after Texas won the World Series and he had yep. a fantastic year again. He's been great for three seasons now. I don't think you can go wrong with Marcus Semien. However, Altuve only played 90 games this season, and that was because he missed two months due to an injury that happened in the World Baseball Classic which you can't control. It's out of his control. A pitch hit him on the wrist and he missed two months. Other than that, he was relatively healthy. And in that time, in the 90 games that he played, 17 homers, 14 steals, 311 batting average, 393 OBP. He also had 51 RBI and 76 runs. That's 90 games. He missed 70 games and he still put up a 17-14 season with an over 300 batting average. Give me Altuve. Even though he's 33, I still think there's a lot in the tank. The Astros, once again, have one of the best offenses in the league. They're consistently good, and Altuve is always a big part of that. So it might be a debate. I might get flack for it. I might have all the Albies lovers and Braves fans coming at me, but give me Altuve in the first two rounds over Ozzy Albies. So that's my pick right after Semyon. Yeah, you don't forget a guy who absolutely sinks your fantasy matchup by hitting three homers in one game. Yep. Uh, that man Altuve was on an absolute tear in September, and um, it was uh, yeah, it was a sight to see, and, and you know, kind of nice to see him turn around a little bit the narrative on his career uh, with with this season coming back strong after that injury. Yeah, he's always clutch for me in fantasy. He's one of those guys that I look back on the season and go, man, he was great. Whenever he plays, he's great, and I always appreciate that stability at second base. Where mm-hmm. I look at it and I'm like, I'm confident he's going to give me five runs every week or five RBI every week or at least one homer, at least two steals. Like every week he's contributing something and it's always helping. Like there's never a week I look back and went, man, Altuve really did nothing this week. And he's been clutched the times where I needed to win for fantasy playoffs. He's won me leagues. So I just Mm -hmm. think he is a clutch contributor for fantasy. Yeah. All right. Well, with the second to last pick in the second draft, uh, this is where it gets interesting. This is where you can do a lot of things. You could take pitcher here. Uh, there's still a couple outfielders on the board. Um, there's some people at the hot corner that you could take. And, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be stealing this guy from you, but I'm going to take Pete Alonso here. Dang it. (laughs) (laughs) You sniped me in a two team league. This this is where it helps to uh, have some good draft strategies. Uh, but I, I've always been kind of high on Alonzo. Granted, last year, I think Alonzo was going at like the start of the second round. So it's actually kind of impressive that he's fallen all the way to the end of the second round. Uh, but this is a guy who, I mean, he has legitimate homer power. Uh, it's also a team that I drafted Mookie Betts on. So I'm kind of okay in this deals department. I don't have to worry as much about that. So getting a guy like Pete Alonzo, I think, is just a luxury um, and, you know, another option that you could be maybe taking here was Vlad, but honestly, Pete to me has just way more consistency than, than what Vlad has shown. And so, uh, I am not mad with taking him as my starting first baseman off the board at this end of the second round. Yeah, that's an excellent pick. As I mentioned before, him and Olsen kind of rotate and yin yang on who has a great season, but Pete's been super consistent. People don't realize how good Pete Alonso has been since he came to the league. He's been incredible. So, If you have a team that starts with Acuna or Corbin Carroll, 
pairing one of them with Pete Alonso is huge. And you get that power. You already have the batting average with Carroll and Acuna. You have the runs with them. You have the stolen bases. And then Pete Alonso gives you the power boost that you need pairing him with that. I love pairing Pete Alonso with one of those fast guys like Acuna or mm-hmm. Carroll. So excellent pick. It's even weird to consider this, but it's like Pete Alonso is like kind of a lock for 40 homers, yeah. which is like kind of a stupid thing to say. But it's if you look at his seasons in 2021, 37 homers. So he's only three off. Uh, 2022, 40, and last year, 46. So you're, if you're telling me that, it, is there a chance that Alonso's going to go for 40 again this season? I think, like, yeah, that, that's going to happen unless he gets injured. So being able to have that kind of power coupled with, like, those speed guys that you're talking about, I think it's just such a nice thing to have. Yeah, he could easily hit 50 homers in a season. I wouldn't be shocked if Pete Alonso does. He did it in his rookie year. So I would not be shocked if Pete put up a 50 homer season. And I think the worst outcome is he hits 35 which it's so rare yes. to say a player's range is 35 to 55, right? Like, I don't see him hitting less than 35. So it's just so consistent for the power from Pete Alonso that I think it's just an excellent pick. And that leaves me with the final pick in round two. And obviously in this situation, if you're drafting in the first spot, you have Acuna. So what pairs well with Acuna? And before I make my pick... I want to give some honorable mentions to guys that didn't get picked that could easily mm. fit into these rounds. That's Manny Machado, Austin Riley, who I won't be selecting, Bo Bichette, Michael Harris II, Randy Orozarena, Luis Robert, Ozzy Albies, Vlad Jr., Mike Trout even. For pitchers, Corbin Burns, Zach Wheeler, Luis Castillo, Kevin Gossman, Blake Snell after this season. All those guys could be selected, but there's two guys on between here. And I think that I'm going to go with the safe one rather than the fun one. But Ooh. I really want to go with the fun one. But <laughs> the fun one would have been Ellie De La Cruz. Oh, you're a believer. I've been a huge believer. I am on the whole <laughs> Ellie De La Cruz train. I love what he brings. I think that he makes a big leap next season. I think we see some great things out of Ellie. So I believe it. But I would like to get him in the third. I don't think it's going to happen. I think if you were drafting from the one spot, he's not going to make it back to you if you don't take him in the second round. I don't think he comes to your fourth pick. I mean, obviously, you loop around. You could take him with the first pick in the third round, of course. But I think if you don't take him right here, that turn, he's not coming back to you. So Mm -hmm. you have to kind of take him in this spot. And honestly, I think I would go Acuna, Ellie, and then this guy who I'm going to draft. But for the sake of the end of the second round, I'm going to take Raphael Devers. Mm, Yes, yes. I just love Devers. He's so consistent. He's one of the best third base options. And if you're pairing him with Acuna... It's the perfect spot for him because Acuna is going to give you 60 steals, probably. He's going to also give you 30 homers, probably. And he's going to give you a great batting average. Devers is going to do the same thing. He's going to give you 30-plus homers, a good batting average. He's going to score a lot of runs, get a lot of RBI, and he's not going to get you any steals, but you have Acuna for that. If you split it between the both of them, you're probably going to get somewhere between 60 and 70 homers, and you're going to get 60 to 70 steals between two players, and your batting average is probably over 285. You can't beat that. So I will take Devers there, but on the turn, I'll take Ellie Deva Cruz. Even though we're not doing the next <laughs> round, I'm taking Ellie with that pick because it's fun. But I think that's a really solid two rounds of drafting. And I think we really didn't pick outside of my rankings. My rankings, actually, my 1 to 24, you didn't grab someone that was an honorable mention for me. You didn't okay. switch anything up. Like the first 24 picks were all taken that I wrote down between you and I. So I think that really speaks volumes of what 
the consensus is going to be for the first two rounds. Obviously, some guys can jump up and you can replace maybe Altuve with Albies or Alonzo with Riley or Devers with Riley or Machado. So you can interchange some of these guys. But I think the top 24 is pretty solid. And honestly, going into the draft, I'm kind of confident in the first two rounds of getting a great start to your team. All I have to say is that Atlanta fans probably hate us. You know, we we did pick Acuna first. Yep. But then we took Freeman over Olsen. Yep. We took uh, Joe Ram over Riley. Yep. I guess. And then we Devers took, over Riley uh, as well. Yeah. Devers over Riley as well. And then we took uh, uh, Altuve and Semyon over all these. And, and no Michael Harris. So, yeah, they <laughs> obviously. Well, yeah. They're going okay, to be pretty Michael heated. Harris is another conversation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then we took Garrett Cole over Spencer Strider. So yeah, you're right. It's, um... You're right. We dogged the Braves. I'm sorry, and that's not because I'm a Mets fan. It's just preference for fantasy. I promise. I promise. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this it, it is kind of funny how you know, like, like you said, like we we picked the top 24 guys off your off your board, but we did kind of do them in an order that was didn't exactly match the order. And I think it just comes down to personal preference, right? Like, how much risk are you willing to take? Are you the are you the guy that takes a pitcher? in the first two rounds you know but i think both you and i if given the choice actually probably wouldn't take a pitcher in the first two rounds unless it just absolutely made sense you know and so am i going to have a team that has garrett cole or spencer strider on it this season probably not um am i going to you know maybe load up on two outfielders in the first two rounds of the draft that might be likely i wouldn't be surprised if i went with that strategy especially if i'm drafting um kind of at the end of the first round um but it is, yeah, it is cool to see that, you know, at the end of the day, kind of the, the top 24, top 28 consensus is very similar. And, that, you know, part of it is that we all feed into the same system of ADP and projections, and it kind of makes sense that way. But, um, yeah, honestly, with the way that people draft it, it's going to change from team to team. And um, like you said, there's there's some nice spots to be in, right? I think both you and I really like being in the top five or that number five pick if possible. Being on the turn is is a little challenging this season, I think, um, at the end of the first round. Um, but the thing is, your 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 rosters are not also decided by the first two rounds. There's still 21 more rounds to go um, in a redraft league. And uh, how you kind of tackle the first two rounds of the draft, you know, we, we picked we kind of picked guys that were are expected to go in those first two rounds. It's when you get to, you know, rounds six through 10 or, or even like uh 10 through 15, that's really what's going to make and break your, your first, you know, couple months of the season. I completely agree with everything you said here. You really can't go wrong with any picks in the first two rounds. The only way it goes wrong is if the player gets injured or if they have like a historic down season it's very hard to miss in these first two rounds. I agree that I prefer drafting last season and this season in the first five picks. I think the turn is really difficult this season because there's going to be a lot of good options and mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of what ifs like, oh, I should have took this guy. When you look back in the draft, you're like, oh, I could have took him and I didn't go with him. And there's going to be a lot of regret drafting in the 10, 11, 12 range for 10 team and 12 team leagues. So it's very hard to draft there because there's so many good options. But I think... Even the one spot is tough because obviously you get Acuna, which is the biggest boost to you for your fantasy season. But towards the end of that second round, that's kind of where I would pivot. I mean, it's tough because like if Garrett Cole is available in that pick, I don't want to take pitching early. But if mm. Garrett Cole falls to me in the end of the second round and I have Acuna, yeah. then I got to take him, right? Like, 
Right. It's tough to not take him in that scenario. So in my opinion, I think you can't go wrong with wherever you're drafting this season because every player in the first two rounds, even three rounds, is pretty solid. And that's kind of hard to come by. We usually see mm-hmm. talent dry up towards the end of the second round or beginning of third. I think the talent runs deep into the third this year. So I'm very confident with people being happy with their teams after drafts next season because there's a lot of players to like and a lot of good team builds that you can make. So with that being said, I really think we did a good job here. I think that there's a lot of good debates to have. I think that we can reflect back on this when we look maybe, you know, a few weeks before draft season and do this over again and see if the exercise is still the same or do we give someone a boost? Do we drop somebody because of new news that came out or a team switch? So I think it's cool to look back on. Obviously, this is way too early to be doing a mock draft for 2024, but it's always fun to do. But with that being said, that is going to wrap up this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Before we go, make sure that you follow us on X or Twitter at ThisWeekPL. You can also send us your comments and questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at TheJohnKa, that's T-H-E-J-O-H-N, K-E, and you can follow myself on Twitter at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcher List podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. And once again, leave us a five-star review if you enjoy listening to the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week of the off-season edition of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. We'll see you all in the next episode. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. 